Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to the book of James, chapter 1. Yes, I know we're changing the formula a little bit because a new party will be speaking as we enter into Elihu's speech here in the book of Job. Now, as you turn there, a bit of housekeeping. We record this streaming every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you live in New York or Louisiana or Florida, you're already there. Please send me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com if you would like to be a part of these streams and to enjoy the question and answer and fellowship time we have after that. And for those, I, you probably all know I don't like asking for money, but if you would like to tithe to the Very Lutheran Project or make any donations, you can go to verylutheran.biz where there is a support tab with options for a P.O. box or an online giving option so we can keep this ministry going. This is how my family is provided for, and with a third child on the way, we're looking forward to that in the future and appreciate everything that helps this. Beyond that, with the Very Lutheran Project, it is the center of what we call the Catacomb Synod. We provide free resources to a very large and very decentralized house church network. That is, if you decide to support us, that also supports the Catacomb Synod, where we are training lay leaders and deacons to have churches that are independent from those bodies that increasingly so seem to hate their own parishioners. We're giving Christians a way to schism now and avoid the rush when all of these bodies continue to follow their predictable downward trajectory. But with that said, we turn here to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of our Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And now at this time we're going to be turning to the book of Job, beginning in the 33rd chapter, the first time in which our dear friend Elihu will be speaking. Now, as context, as you turn there, Job has finally laid out his case in plain words regarding what has happened to him. Remember, he lost his ten children. He lost all of his livelihood. He lost all of his servants. Those who did not die fled. His wife's heart was turned against him as she wished that he would die. Such is Job's situation, and it is a bad one. So he lays out his case in which he makes a sorrowful, a tragic admission. 
Job chapter 31 verse 23 says, For I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced his majesty. Job admits that his prime motivator for his good conduct, one of the reasons in which he was called blameless before God, a man who feared God and turned away from evil, was fearing God in the sense of abject terror. Because Job, it seems, may have suffered from the same malady that his friends, his three friends, have suffered from. Putting God in a box. Worshipping the God of the theologians rather than the true God who wants a personal relationship with us. Not necessarily the great vending machine in the sky type of a relationship. But as we read, and I made a mistake, it's Job chapter 32, one page behind, not Job chapter 33. After it says the words of Job are ended, then we have one more human being that decides to respond before God responds. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 32. So these three men, ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu the son of Barakal the Buzite answered and said, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention, and behold, there was none among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. Beware lest you say we have found wisdom. God may vanquish him, not a man. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. They are dismayed. They answer no more, and they have not a word to say. And shall I wait because they do not speak, because they stand there and answer no more? I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. This is the word of our Lord. 
Thanks be to God. We will be also reading chapter 33, but I'd like to address and look over chapter 32 first. This series has been entitled on SoundCloud, Enduring Job. Here, that would be a misnomer because I request of you kindly to endure Elihu. It says in these first verses, Elihu is a young man. Yes, he is also an angry young man. In verse 1 it says, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Job has called down curses upon himself. He says, If I really am as bad as you say, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, then fine. If that is the case, may God strike me down and kill me. May he make my suffering even worse and humiliate me before I die. So be it. Clearly, Job assumes that he has not done these things. He has admitted to sinning in the past, but these matters of his personal sins were addressed. But then Elihu that little vein in his forehead starts to pop off. It starts to burst. And it says in verse 2, Then Elihu, the only man with a Hebrew name in this group, the son of Barachel, the Bozite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Elihu is a Hebrew name. It means he is my God. Being the son of Barakel, uh, a Buzite, the family of Ram, suggests that he is from an Arabian era, area. There were Hebrews that were not necessarily of Abraham's line. The word Hebrew comes from the word Eber, which is the forefather of the Hebrews in Genesis chapter 10. There were other Hebrews, in fact, an entire group of people that the Egyptians recognized called the Hapiru were of Hebrew extraction. It could be that Elihu is one of these men distantly related to Abraham or perhaps a distant ancestor, perhaps a great, great, great uncle. But I digress. He burned with anger at Job because Job justified himself. He hears Job say, I've done nothing wrong for God to treat me this way. He hears Job's friends say, well, God only punishes people. That's why bad stuff happens. So you did something wrong. Meanwhile, Elihu here wants to talk about God. So he says in verse 3, he burned with anger also at Job's friend, three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he, so he respected their age and their wisdom. And when he, Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. Have you noticed something, beloved? This is a very angry boy. The author of Job writes that, Four times, Elihu is burned with anger. There is a point there. Repeating it this many times tells us that the author, whom I believe to be Job himself, wants to emphasize it. Elihu is very upset. And so he answers and says, First, 
directed to Job's three friends, I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom. You guys had your turn first. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. Verse 8 is incredibly important. The breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. Have we heard any verses thus far that sound like that? Well, let's read Job chapter 28, verse 28, in which Job says, He said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Question for you. Which one between these two verses, Job 32 verse 8 or Job 28 verse 28, which one of those is repeated several times in Scripture? Well, what Job says. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God and to turn away from evil. In verse 8, here Elihu makes a statement that says it is the spirit in man, presumably the Holy Spirit, and the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. That is to say, Elihu has this belief that the Holy Spirit directly imparts wisdom to you, not working through means. For those of us who may not be Lutheran, God loves to work through means, especially word and sacrament. He works through his word. Do we wish to have wisdom? We do so with the word of God passed down to us in our hearing. Elihu, on the other hand, contradicting this, says, no, 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 no. God makes you understand through his Holy Spirit, and he doesn't mention any sort of go-between, any sort of means that God would work through. When he says to Job's three friends, yeah, you guys are wise guys, you have all this experience, but guess what? God can speak through me in this very moment. Elihu is speaking with the same language as a Pentecostal Christian. So he continues on, therefore I say, listen to me, that let me also declare my opinion, verse 10. And he continues on, I waited for your words. I listened to your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. You guys were reaching. I gave you my attention and behold, there was none of you among you who refuted Job or who answered his words. You guys don't even know what to say to him at this point. And clearly everything you've been saying must be wrong because you didn't change his mind. Are we getting an understanding of Elihu's attitude here? He continues, verse 13, Beware, lest you say we have found wisdom. God may vanquish him, not a man. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. You can say this isn't your problem anymore, Eliphaz, but guess what? I'm going to say something totally different to Job. I'm not going to say the same stuff you're saying. Just you wait. I challenge you, as you read along, to see whether or not Elihu is truly saying anything different from Job or his two, three friends. He continues, they are dismayed, they answer no more, they've been quiet for a bit. 
which is ironic because Elihu is clearly a Johnny-come-lately. He has been sitting there waiting, and I doubt that he has been there waiting with Job for seven days without food or any other supplies as Job's friends have, sitting outside with Job. But Elihu is clearly a much more righteous man than Job and his three friends. Just trust him, he'll tell you. Shall I wait because they do not speak? Because they stand there and answer, no more? <laughs> I also will answer with my share. I also will declare my opinion. I'm sure you will, Elihu. For I am full of words. Yes, you are, Elihu. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. He has been waiting, chomping on the bit, ready to lecture and dress down Job and his friends. I must speak that I may find relief. He's giving us words that suggest his personal subjective experience. He is not speaking from his knowledge. He is not speaking from his experience of what God's word says or any established wisdom. He is speaking because he feels like it. He admits as much in these verses. My spirit within me constrains me. I'm like a wineskins. I feel like I'm ready to burst. I just can't, I can't handle this anymore. I have to speak or else I'm not going to find relief. And then he says, I will show partiality. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. He means with this, he intends to dress down Job and his friends. So let us continue in chapter 33 as he turns his attention to Job. But now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart. In what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure, without transgression. I am clean, and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying, He will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while they slumber on their beds. And he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread, and his appetite the choicest food. 
his flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draw nears the pit, and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going down into the pit, I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth, let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God, and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me, be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear my speech, O Job. Listen to all my words. My words, verse 3, declare the uprightness of my heart. Because he's humble, you see. Because of all these men, all four of them who have admitted none are righteous before God, God could find fault with them if he decided to find it. Elihu's different, you see. He can declare to you that he is totally upright. 100%. Which is ironic given verse 9 in which he chastises Job saying, You say I am pure without transgression, I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. Elihu forgets that Job in chapter 13 verse 26 spoke of the sins that he committed in his youth. Job has readily admitted that he has sinned in the past. Yet here is a man who claims for himself uprightness of heart, chastising another man for a claim, a, perhaps a misunderstanding, a belief that Job said he was perfect. So he says in verse 5, Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Answer me. Praise God that Job the steadfast remained silent in this moment. If Elihu spoke to me or an Elihu-like figure decided to speak this way to me, my first question to him is, who the hell do you think you are? Coming at me saying that you are perfect and righteous because you feel it enough and you feel ready to burst with your words. You feel like God has given you such uprightness and wisdom and you feel like your wisdom surpasses that of learned men whom the Bible will quote, the rest of the books of the Bible will quote almost obsessively, finding a foundation for most of the word of God from these four men's words, Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. The irony is palpable. Behold, he finds occasion against me. Here is Elihu mocking Job. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Elihu is creating a straw man. 
setting up a Job that does not exist, claiming that this is what Job is saying, and then tearing it down with Elihu's words. Verse 12, Behold, in this you are not right, he says to the straw man. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Question for you. How many times have the four men in their dialogue mentioned how much greater God is than man? Job has said he is terrified to speak to God because he knows that God created absolutely everything. Eliphaz has spoken quite plainly of how God can terrify us and how mighty he is and who are we to ask him or call him to account. Did Eliphaz not hear that? Did he just show up in the past few minutes? We will never know, not this side of heaven anyway. But he claims this, saying God is greater than man, as though nobody has said it. Why do you contend against him, saying, He will answer none of man's words? Job has said, God will answer me. I am staying with him because I know my Redeemer lives. Somebody is going to make this right, and I am going to trust that God will make this right. When Elihu says he will answer none of man's words, Elihu is taking one or two early statements of Job and then ignoring the rest of his statements. For God speaks in one way, verse 14, and in two, though man does not perceive it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, in when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. This has been mentioned. Eliphaz has brought it up in the fourth chapter. Verses 12 through 17, Eliphaz begins to speak of warning dreams in which God sends messengers. But then Elihu says something that almost sounds new. Verse 18, he keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Job, you are suffering because this is to redeem you. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones. When he says man, he means Job. He's giving, again, a description of what has happened to Job in his flesh, the terrible pains that Job is going through, in such a fashion as to sarcastically mock him. When Job speaks of the young men who mock at him now, at this point we must wonder whether or not Elihu is one of them. So that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food, Job has described his lack of an appetite and the terrible feeling in his skin with all of the blisters and sores. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draw nears the pit and his life to those who bring death. Yes, Job has already spoken of this. Why does Elihu need to bring it up? Well, that is because Elihu mentions something, presuming that Job did not say it. Verse 23, if there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, 
and he is merciful to him, and says, Deliver him from going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God, and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. There must be an advocate. I cannot face God by myself. I cannot make my case before him. Though I will, and I will cling to him, there must be someone that I can trust that will speak on my behalf. Elihu, apparently forgetting this, mentions that. Oh, surely, if there is for you an angel and mediator, they're going to restore you, Job. But then he says... Remember, this is the man who says he would speak differently than the three friends of Job. Verse 27, he sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. You see, Job, it, once everything's made right, you're going to just admit that you are a dirty, rotten, stinking, filthy, nasty, miserable sinner. And you deserved all of this. And God did all of it to warn you. Don't you see how much different that is from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar here who are saying that you too are a dirty, stinky, nasty, filthy, rotten, miserable sinner and that God is doing this to warn you so that you repent and he restores you? May I remind you, chapter 32, verse 14, he says, He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. Elihu has forgotten that he said that. And now he responds to Job by saying nothing that his friends have not said. And by repeating things Job himself has said. Behold, God does all these things, verse 29, twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. And I am going to put the best construction on Elihu's words and say that he is repeating the warning of the law that Job's friends have said. But it is tempting, it is tempting, to see what Elihu says as a twisted soteriology that says, you are saved through your suffering. That the vehicle of your eternal life, the salvation that God grants to you, is by beating the hell out of you and making you miserable. And every time you would fall off and slip off into the path toward hell, God makes you miserable and suffering in order to save you. I hope that is not what he meant. When he says God does all these things to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may light, be lighted with the light of life. It is charitable to say this is a bringing back in terms of warning, in terms of what the law says to us, not hard soteriology informing how we, our souls are saved. And then verse 31 to the end of the chapter, Pay attention, O Job, listen to me, be silent and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. This is sarcasm. He is not justifying Job. He is doing nothing but accuse Job of hideous ignorance, self-righteousness. He is accusing Job of having all of the worst thoughts ever 
in saying that Job is an evil and arrogant man who believes himself perfect. So, this man who clearly, differentiating himself from Job, the man who apparently said he's perfect, verse 33, if not listen to me, be silent and I will teach you wisdom. The wisdom that Elihu believes he has garnered because he has these special feelings that tell him he is about to burst at the seams. Elihu, the man that believes God is giving him wisdom directly through these special feelings and attitudes. Elihu, the man whom we must endure before we hear the meat of God's response to Job. And next week we will finish up Elihu's speech to Job. Hopefully we will finish it up and discover the real reason why Job included this disaster of a response to him. But that said, we will get to that next week. Our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.